Revelation chapter 15. Would you turn there with me in your Bibles? Revelation chapter 15. Today and next Sunday, we are going to look at uh, a pretty sobering, uh, graphic, a little frightening subject, the wrath of God Almighty, the wrath, the judgment uh, that God is going to rain down on all inhabitants of earth at the end of the tribulation. Um, next week, you're going to see it, but let me just give you a little preview next week. There's uh, folks that are going to have festering sores all over their bodies and crying out with pain all those who took the mark of the beast. The blood in the oceans, uh, all of the Pacific, the Atlantic, the Gulf, all of the oceans, Indian Ocean, turned to blood. All of the drinking water is bloody. People uh, are experiencing scorching sun and fire and sulfur and, and pain writhing from their pain. They're hiding in caves. They're, they're crying out, just let the rock fall on me and end my misery. Uh, they're, they're gnawing their tongues in agony. And this past week I saw some reports of hail, um, saw some golf ball size hail. Actually, even they showed some baseball size hail, Rob. Um, but we're talking at the end of the tribulation, 100 pound hailstones raining down. Can you imagine? 100 pound uh, chunks of ice falling from the sky. So um, th this is an interesting uh, chapter today and next Sunday as well. Um, today, chapter 15, Here's what goes on. Um, they're just about ready to pour out the bowls and they're getting preparations made in heaven. And then suddenly this worship song breaks out in heaven. Now just pause for a moment and let that soak in. Um, wrath, judgment, torment, suffering are coming and heaven, they're singing. They break out the instruments and and they're singing and they're praising uh, as the Lord prepares to pour out wrath and judgment. So here's the question we're going to ask today and next Sunday, and we're going to try to answer in both of these chapters. How do we reconcile the mercy and grace and kindness of Jesus Christ? We know that love and mercy and grace and, and we enjoy it. How do we reconcile that with wrath and judgment and torment that's coming for all of those who are left there at the end of the tribulation. Let me, let me word a little differently. How could a good and loving and fair and merciful God pour out and allow such pain and suffering and judgment? Many would say, how can this be okay? How on earth could this be okay that the God of the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, um, they're up there and, and worship's going on and then unleashed is going to be awful stuff. One writer that I read this week referred to God in these two chapters as a moral monster. Well, we better have some answers. We better be able to 
to, to come back and explain a little bit about these events. So here, here's my question. How should we view these events that are coming? This is history that's already been written and it's coming. How should we view these events? Is it okay for us to like Revelation 15 and 16? Should we be sad? Should we be happy? Is it okay if we really enjoy these two chapters? Um, we're going to get the first part of our answer today and come back next Sunday, chapter 16. You'll get uh, the second half of our answer. So would you stand with me? This is the shortest chapter in uh, all of the book of Revelation, just eight verses, but boy, does it pack a punch. This is the preparations in heaven just before the Lord pours out judgment and wrath on earth's residents. Would you read out loud with me? This is God's word, and let's declare it out loud together. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, they held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Let's pray. Lord, we just acknowledge that uh, these are hard verses. <laughs> and next week's going to get even harder. So uh, we need your help. We need you to uh, illuminate our hearts and our minds and uh, show us just exactly what it is that we should get and understand and how it relates to our lives today from these verses we just read. We know, Lord, that uh, when people suffer and are in pain and face tragedies and are miserable, they ask hard questions. So, Lord, uh, I, I believe you have good answers for hard questions. So help us to get prepared, even as we study your book today. Teach us and feed us and show us this morning from your word and, 
and give us solid answers about the hard things that happen here on planet Earth and the hard things that are coming for those who are left on planet Earth at the end of the tribulation. I want to pause now, Lord. We've got some folks who are part of us, family who are hurting and struggling, and this has been a tough week for. Uh, I pray for those who are emotionally, spiritually, maritally, financially struggling today. And Lord, I pray that your mercy and grace would bring comfort and encouragement to them. May, may even the study of your book bring them hope and confidence. I pray uh, as well for those who are physically hurting. And we're really glad that you're the great physician and uh, that you are the one who ultimately brings healing. So we're asking that you'll bring healing to Kevin and Larry and Pete and McKenna and Rusty and Kristen and, and others who need your healing touch. Lord, uh, this, this is a fallen world. And uh, Lord, these tents we live in, they're temporary and they get holy and they fall apart, Lord. So we're glad we can look to you. And uh, we look forward to uh, the new bodies that you have in store for us as your children. Right now, Lord, we uh, invite your spirit to come and settle in your church here today in Walloon. You take charge. You be in control. Lord, help us to tune in and hear your still, small voice as you speak personally, specifically to each of us. All the church gathered at Walloon said with joy in their hearts. You may be seated. That was close. You almost had to do it again, but just barely went over acceptable. Um, hard questions. And, you know, even as we're talking about chapters 15 and 16, it's kind of like, I'm not sure I even want to hear about this. You know, what makes it okay for God to kill people in the future is really what we're asking. What makes it okay that our God chooses to slaughter everybody left on planet Earth? This is, I think, the most gruesome section of God being God in all of the, the Bible. So uh, we better... We better get it, because this is coming. This is history that's coming our way. What makes the seven bowls of wrath okay? Uh, how do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we reconcile? Because most of us, we, we get, oh, I love the love, the grace, the mercy, the patience of Jesus. But how do you reconcile that with the wrath and the torment and the punishment that we're going to look at today and next Sunday. Here's the first part of the answer. You ready? You can write it down. If you're taking notes, here, here's, here's, and if you're prone to sleep, wake up for a moment, get this, and you can go back to sleep, okay? Here we go. Uh, we need a proper, biblical, complete view of the God we follow and serve. We need a proper, biblical, complete view 
of the God we follow and serve. Um, the fact is, most of the time, most preachers, most teachers, we like to talk about the soft side, the warm, the comforting, the patience, the love, the grace of Jesus. And the truth is, if, if it was just up to me, I'd talk about grace every Sunday because that's like my favorite subject. And uh, we like that side of Jesus. Um, but the truth is, there's more than just the soft side of Jesus Christ. And that's the problem. The other side of Jesus, the strong, harsh, justice side of Jesus, uh, we don't talk about much. We don't even like to think about it all that much. And, and therefore, when we look at it squarely, Revelation 15, Revelation 16, it kind of hits us out of nowhere, and, and it doesn't feel so good. Um, I'm convinced that we're given Revelation 15 and 16 to wake us up. It's like, it's like the Lord gives John this picture to record for us, and it's like, you need to not be so comfortable. You need to realize that uh, this is God, and it's okay that he wakes you up and makes you uncomfortable with this strong side. He's trying to make a strong impression on us this morning. So as we look at it, we should say, oh, I, I need to get this. Because most of us, we're a little unfamiliar with this side of God. Um, there is a part of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that is a supreme mystery. The truth is, He's beyond us. He's untamable, and He doesn't fit nicely in our little God boxes. You know what I'm saying? We kind of got God figured out, and this is the way we think He should work, and this is how he should behave toward us and toward people around us. I'm just telling you, this side of God, uh, it doesn't fit nicely in our, in our little agenda boxes. Okay? He makes us uncomfortable, and yet at the same time, he comforts us. It's like, wow, you, you make us uncomfortable, and yet in our uncomfort, you bring comfort to us. It's both sides. Here's how C.S. Lewis put it. Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. How many of you have read it? Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. Or maybe you've seen the movie. Uh, this is Mr. Beaver talking to Susan about Aslan. And Aslan in Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, who does he represent? Anybody? Jesus Christ, okay? And here's what he says. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. I tell you. He's the king. So that's what we're going to see today. That's the missing part. It's, it's that other side of God Almighty. It's the, it's the lion side of Jesus Christ. We really like the lamb part, but the lion, not so sure. Verse 1, Revelation 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them god's wrath is completed so verse one 
John sees another sign. This is the third sign. Where are the first two? Hold your spot. Go back to chapter 12 with me. Verse 1, first sign. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head. When we were in 12, I, I said, I think that's Israel. I think that's God's chosen people coming back center stage once again. And uh, the Jews, uh, who up to this point haven't believed in Jesus, the lights are going to go on when tribulation starts. And 144,000 of them are going to be the uh, super missionaries, the uh, super evangelists. Uh, I think that's what's happening. Uh, the second sign, verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on its head. Uh, if you slide down to verse 9, who's that? that that's uh, the great dragon is the devil, it's Satan, and it's clearly that enormous red dragon Satan who in chapter 12 is wrestling uh, with, with Michael, remember we looked at that, and he gets thrown out of the drive-through window of heaven. What, is, what does Satan do day and night right now? Anybody? He's yelling accusations. Did you see what Rob did? Did you see what Henry said? And he's just going around, and every time we blow it, he's condemning and accusing us before God the Father and God the Son. And just do, Well, in chapter 12, he gets thrown out of heaven, and we saw that. So that's the second sign that was seen. Now go to 15.1, and now this is the third marvelous sign. It says, I saw another great and marvelous sign. Here's the third one. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last. Because with them, God's wrath is complete. Seven angels holding seven bowls of plagues. This is the last of the plagues. We've been through seals. We've been through trumpets. Now we're going to look at bowls, okay? And this is it, God's wrath. After these seven bowls are poured out on earth, God's wrath is complete. So John is recording for us the beginning of the end, the great and final judgment of the Lord, planet earth. That's, that's the sign that he gets. Two weeks ago, uh, we were in chapter 14. Uh, Sunday before Easter, we were in chapter 14, and we got the halftime pep talk from Coach Jesus. Remember Satan, demonic army, false prophet, antichrist, 52 followers of Jesus, zero. They were getting creamed. And, and Jesus comes in, chapter 14, gives them the pep talk, halftime, hang in there, resist, don't follow Satan, don't follow the Antichrist or the false prophet, don't take the mark of the beast, okay? So now, King Jesus, line of the tribe of Judah, verse 1, brings out the big guns. You know what I'm talking about? The, the heavy artillery gets moved into place. It's ready to launch into action. Verse 2, John says, and I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. 
And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, they held harps given them by God. Um, if you hold your spot, go back to chapter 4 and verse 6. If you like to do that, uh, the very same sea is there, but in 4-6, uh, it's just a sea of glass, uh, clear as crystal, so a very calm sea. But in verse 2, look at it, it's the same sea, but now there is fire on the water, smoke on the water, if you will, okay? So the sea is on fire, the picture of judgment, and it's telling us that King Jesus is getting ready for judgment. And even in heaven, they're getting ready to unleash the final great, awesome, frightening judgment on planet Earth. So that's what's coming in. Uh, and look at verse 2. It talks about some heroes there, uh, victorious ones. They're the ones who refuse the mark of the beast. Remember, Satan is going to put pressure on everybody left. You'll put the 666 either on your hand or on your forehead. And if you refuse the mark, what happens? Uh, you're going to starve. You can't buy. You can't trade. You can't sell. You're going to die. These are the martyrs who paid the price. And what kind of price did they pay? 1310. They died. They lost their lives because they refused the mark of the beast. Okay? And these heroes, these martyrs who are murdered for their faith, look at verse 2. They are invited to join the heavenly praise band. Did you know that? They're invited. Hey, the, all of you who resisted the satanic trinity, Satan, Antichrist, false prophet, now you get to be in the heavenly praise band. Verse 2, and it says that each of them gets a stringed instrument. And I happen to know that most guitar players are very particular about who touches their guitar. So I'm just going to look at it and maybe just touch it a little bit, but I'm not going to pick it up. But think about it. These folks battling away, following Jesus, refusing to take the mark, now they're killed, now they're in glory with Jesus, you get to be in the praise band. And everybody who's invited to be in that praise band, they're martyred, they're slaughtered, they're given, what does it say? What, what kind of instrument? A what? A harp or a, well, you can say it lyre or lyre. I usually say lyre, because lyre makes me think of other things. So I, anyway, but that's just me. Um, so anyway, uh, they get a harp or a lyre. Um, but what's interesting, same root word in the Greek, we get our word, Casey, guitar. Did you know that? So it could be, if you want to think of it this way, that uh, these praise band members all get their own guitar. Now, this is the song that the uh, new martyrs were singing. Okay, God's about to pour out his wrath on the earth, and it says this is the song of Moses, and this is the song of the Lamb, verse 3. And they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. 
Here's the song they sang. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord? Bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now, you need to know this song is taken from mostly Exodus 15.1 and Deuteronomy chapter 32. You can look that up later if you want. Um, so here's the song that Moses led the children of Israel in. Remember, they were in Egypt. <coughs> Excuse me. They were slaves, and now the Lord, through Moses, says, let my people go. What did Pharaoh say? No, hard heart, no. And ten times, no, no, no. Finally, uh, the Passover lamb, firstborn uh, of all, dies. Get out of here. And they run, and they're getting out of town. And then what happens with Pharaoh? What does he do? Changes his mind, sends his chariots, his soldiers, his army, go kill them all. And now they're, they're in front of the Red Sea, and behind them is the army of Pharaoh. And uh-oh, we are dead meat, right? Until what happens? The Lord parts the Red Sea, and they march through on dry ground. And uh, as they march through, Pharaoh's army thinks that they can follow along. And what happens? The, the waves come crashing down, and uh, it's the dead man float, and they are destroyed. So they are delivered from, from all of these folks who were rejecting God, and now they've followed and obeyed Jehovah God, and God delivers them. Make sense? Now go look at verses 3 and 4. The martyrs have been delivered from death to life with Jesus, the Lamb of God. And now they're going to sing praise to Jesus because Jesus is about to rain down wrath and justice. And just like he drowned Pharaoh's army, he's about to drown all who reject the lamb, the king. Make sense? Okay, we're going to come back in a little bit and look at that in a little more detail. Verse 5. After this I looked, and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen, and they wore golden sashes around their chests. The temple, the tabernacle, both Old Testament pictures of the Holy of Holies. This was the place where God's Shekinah glory showed itself before the nation of Israel. Okay? So that's God's, and, and no one can go in there. Thick curtain. And now it says it's open. Think about it. It's open. It's been torn. That, that curtain has been torn top to bottom. And when Jesus came up out of the grave, that's when that curtain got torn top to bottom. Hebrews 4.16, boldly, you and I, we can run into the uh, presence of Jesus Christ in our times of trouble, our times of need. Now pause with me. Old Testament times, who could go into the Holy of Holies? Anybody? Who? High priest, how often? Once a year. Okay, so one time of year uh, with a lot of fear 
and trepidation. Matter of fact, it's recorded that they would put a rope on the ankle of the high priest as he went in once a year. And later on, they actually put like a cowbell around his neck. So they could, whenever he was moving around, they could hear the bell clanging. He's still alive. God didn't strike him dead. And in case he did something foolish, or in case he went unclean and God struck him dead, they could just yank him out by the ankle uh, rope they had on him. So that's how they viewed this. One person, once a year, and it was a fearful time. Today, you and I, we get to go running in to the presence of Jesus whenever we need him, whenever we need his grace and his help. Why is that? Go back to Revelation 1.6. Hold your spot. If you have a Bible, go back there. This is worth it. 1.6 says this, that we are a kingdom of priests. And he's made us a kingdom of priests to serve him, God and Father. To him be glory and power forevermore. Think about that. We as the church are a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter 2.9 says, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now, here's my question. How many of you woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and said, hello there, you good-looking priest, you. I am a priest. And, and yes, I am. I am a royal priest. And I am a part of the kingdom of priests. We don't think of ourselves that way. But the fact that we can go into the Holy of Holies 24-7, anytime, whenever we're in trouble, whenever we're in need, it's because we're a kingdom of priests now. That's what Jesus has done for us. And, and it says, verse 6, and the seven angels, uh, the ones carrying the priests, are dressed in clean linen, clean shining robes, golden sashes. They are representing the king well. Verse 7, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Verse 8, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, from his power. No one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels was completed. Okay, so verse 7 just notice, you got the seraph, the four living creatures. One of the four living creatures, Revelation 4, 7, is the passer-outer of the, the bowls of wrath to the seven angels. Tracking? And we're going to see next week, they get poured out. And I think they get poured out quickly on the inhabitants left on the earth. Verse 8, smoke filling the temple of God. Smoke, a symbol of judgment a symbol of imminent, awful things about to occur. And for a short time, look at verse 8, no one could enter the temple for this time. While, while the bowls are getting poured out, nobody can go into the presence of God Almighty. So for a short time, no grace, no mercy is available. It's shut up because bad stuff is about to rain down on planet Earth. What I want to do now, I want to go back to the song. 
Because I think in that song, verses 3 and 4, in the song, the worship song of the martyrs, we get uh, a lot of information that helps us answer those hard questions. Verse 3, here's the song. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Jesus, great and marvelous are your deeds. Jesus, this is what they're singing about. You became sin for me. You took my place on the cross. You took my blame. You became our curse. You took broken, messed up people and invited us into your throne room. That's the first thing they sing about. Back to verse 3. Here's the second line of the song. Uh, Just and true are your ways, king of the nations. (laughs) We've seen you and your judgments are good and they are just and they are right. You are the perfect judge and you never judge wrongly is what they're singing about. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Track with me. Jesus is the creator, the sustainer of the cosmos, the ruler. He's the one who controls the moon and the stars. Jesus controls the old red dragon, Satan. Jesus has under his control the demonic army. He rules over the antichrist and the false prophet. He's the ruler of everything. Here's what Colossians 1, 16, 17. Jesus is before all things. Jesus holds all things together. All things were created by Jesus. All things were created for Jesus. Do you understand what they're singing about? They're saying, Jesus, you're awesome. (laughs) You, you, You are big and huge and great. Verse 3, matter of fact, you are the ruler and the king of all the nations. I know that the prime minister here and the president here and the king here, they think they're in charge, but we realize you actually are the king of the nations. They continue on. Verse 4, here's the song. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? Who, who wouldn't fear you? You are worthy of trembling. And I recognize, Lord, you are awesome and I'm puny and I'm in trouble. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Fear him who after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yeah, fear the Lord Jesus. Go back. We're not done singing yet. For you alone, Jesus, are holy. Nobody else. You, God the Father, God the Son, you are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. Everybody recognizes that you're untouched by sin. You can't tolerate sin. Even your love is holy love. Even your grace is holy grace. And finally, last line, verse 4. For your righteous acts have been revealed. You're making all the right calls. (laughs) You're awesome. You're perfect. You're sinless. We realize 
this is obvious and clear to everybody. That's what they're singing as they're getting ready to pour out judgment on planet Earth. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 6? Romans chapter 6, if you have a Bible. If you don't, maybe somebody will let you look on with you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans 6, and verse 23. God is holy, he is righteous, and his justice must be served. His wrath is a calculated, appropriate response to his love and his holiness. Think with me now, that which is not holy and righteous will receive his wrath and his judgment because he's holy and he's awesome and he's righteous. And that's exactly what Romans 6.23 says. What does it say? For the wages of sin is what? What kind of death? If you sin, you're just going to quit breathing. Your brain is going to quit waving. For the wages of sin is what? Eternal death, judgment. The just payment for your sin and my sin is death. Sin plus rebellion equals condemnation. We got trouble, y'all, don't we? But go back to verse 23. But the gift of God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Either Jesus Christ pays the debt or the sinner pays the debt. The debt must be paid. Track with me. Either Jesus pays the debt or the sinner pays the debt. But the debt will be paid by somebody. I quote Merrill Hodge. God will not judge people because he gives people what they deserve. We all deserve judgment. All of us have sinned. We all fall short of God's standard, which is perfect, sinless, holy perfection. We all deserve judgment. God will judge because some refuse to receive what no one deserves. Some refuse to receive what no one deserves, which is the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ who paid our sin debt. Some will reject the sin debt that Jesus paid. So, let's go back to our hard questions. How could a good and loving and fair and merciful God, how could he pour out and allow pain and suffering and judgment? And the answer is, um, Jesus is great and awesome in his deeds for us. Jesus paid the sin debt, and he paid what we don't deserve. He became our mediator. And this God of the Bible is more than just grace and love and patience and, and tender-hearted kindness. He's also creator and ruler and judge, and he's the king of the nations. And we better get a healthy fear of this God because he's untamable and he has the power to judge us into hell. And he's our holy king and he's above us and he's untouched by sin and his character is incompatible with sin. 
which is why, which is why his, his righteous acts are so awesome and amazing. Because we don't deserve them, and yet he willingly, lovingly brings freedom from sin to us. So, how should we view Revelation 15? How should we look at this as it's about to be poured out on humanity? I want to offer you three things, okay? So here, here's your notes. Number one, we should rejoice and worship the king that saves foolish, weak, puny sinners like you and me. That's the truth. Uh, we, we need to realize, wow, does he deserve all of my worship, all of my praise. Secondly, we should, as I read Revelation 15, and I've read this 50 times this past week, if you think about the people that you love and care about, who've uh, rejected uh, the sin debt that Jesus paid for them, we should have tears in our eyes as we read this. There should be tears in our eyes and prayer on our lips. Lord, and I'm going to I'm going to start with fervency praying because this is real and this is coming. This is history. Come, And if they refuse the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, this is going to rain down on people I care about. And third, um, we need to realize that Jesus has more than just a tender, soft, merciful, loving, gracious side to him. And, and, I, and I know for me, I, I like the lamb side of Jesus. And I like the fact that he's patient and gentle and, and kind. And, and how many of you like the, the lamb side? Can I, yeah. But you just need to realize he's also the lion. And the lion is roaring in these chapters. And that lion should be feared. And that lion must be obeyed. That's the other side of Jesus. And we're going to see next week in chapter 16 as judgment and justice and wrath are poured out, um, there's more to the answer to this question. Of course, Jesus isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's the king. Lord, uh, these uh, are challenging, sobering verses, and we just acknowledge that. This is uh, harder truth, and it raises difficult questions, but Lord, I believe that your book tells us how we can answer. You're, you're awesome. Your judgments are perfect. And you certainly have offered us what none of us deserve. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, canceling of our sin debt by the shed blood of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that uh, during this next week that we wouldn't be quite so comfortable and casual in our allegiance and in our obedience to you. Lord, we love uh, 
the soft side, but Lord, uh, we're reminded there should be a healthy fear and respect of you as well. Lord, I'm praying that this next week, as you give us opportunity, that we'll, uh, with a tear in our eye, be prayerful for the people around us who likely are headed for this awful place, this awful picture, if nothing changes. Help us to pray fervently. Help us, Lord, to splash lots of your love on them. Help us, Lord, to speak up as you give us opportunity. Thank you for uh, this complete picture of not just the lamb, but the lion who roars. It's in Jesus' amazing name we pray all these things.